freshman year in high school. I played basketball, considered myself to be athletic, really enjoyed sports, and I got hurt during the basketball season and uh, lost a lot of strength, was out for about four weeks, came back, and man, I was a scrub. Uh, <laughs> I left the starter and came back, man, I was on the far end of the bench, too weak to do anything. At the end of the season, I was very disappointed because my, I didn't have the strength that I had and the speed that I had, and my coaches said, well, we want you to run track. In fact, it's mandatory that you run track. Get your speed back up, get your strength back up, uh, learn to use your, your legs again. So I, I remember the first day of track practice, the coach said, I, I want you to start off this practice by, by running a, a two-mile warm-up. Warm up. And I looked, I said, man, that's nothing. You know, been running all summer, getting in shape. I said, two miles, okay. And uh, we started off, and I just started off with so much pride. I started off going so fast. And after the first lap, I was leading. I was like, this is pretty good, you know? Second lap, I was leading. Third lap, it wasn't looking good. I started losing form. I'm running like this and shaking my head. And one person passed me. The second person passed me. Third person passed me. The whole team starts passing. And I'm just thinking to myself, this is not good. <laughs> I'm one-fourth done, uh, one-fourth, I'm done with about one-fourth of this, this two, mile, two miles, and I'm in trouble. I can feel my legs tighten up, my heart's really racing and gasping for air. And then I just see this, this guy, I saw him pass me, and I said, man, he's, he's got a good pace. And he came back around and passed me again. <laughs> I said, he did not just lap me. He ran twice as fast as me. In fact, he finished twice as long as I did. And before I knew it, I was with like five other people while everybody else was just sitting down drinking water, still finishing up with the race. I remember I, I looked at the guy who finished up, and I felt so bad. I said, in all my life, I've never been lapped. To be lapped means that you start at the same point, but that person <laughs> comes around twice, basically, twice your speed, and catches up with you in passage. I said, this is crazy. Uh, my pride was hurt, and it should have been hurt, amen. And, and I remember after going to the locker room, I remember a, a senior came by, and he was like, man, you, you kind of struggled out there. You started off pretty fast, and I want to stop you, and I want to tell you to, to pace yourself. This is a two-mile run. You can't just go all at once. You got to learn how to pace yourself. You got to learn technique. And he said, and don't feel too bad. The guy who ran past you a few times was all state. Amen. He, was, he had a great reputation for being a, a great runner. But for the rest of the year, it felt like I was chasing him. No matter what we did, I was always behind him. No matter how hard I tried, he was just dusting me. I mean, I could just, I memorized the back of his shoe print. <laughs> his name was Gillian. I remember I always used to tell my boy, man, it feels like I'm just chasing Gillian. And I, and I absolutely, after that, I just started hating track because it felt like I, I never could, could, could do as well as I wanted to do. To be honest, I hated track to begin with, but uh, that helped a little more, amen. I just didn't really get the whole thing of just running around in, in circles while everybody's just clapping for you. It just felt like a hamster, amen. But that's how many of us are. We, we spend our life, it feels like we're, we're doing our best, and it feels like we're just chasing something. You know, some of us are chasing people, some of us are, are chasing prestige. I, I, I live part of my life chasing both, wanting to be respected, wanting to be recognized. 
But the Bible teaches us that our, our main pursuit, our, our main chase, must be to chase God. The Bible tells us that if we're not chasing God, we're chasing the wind. We're chasing chaff. We're, we're chasing something that we'll never be able to grasp. And when we think that we have grasped it, we will lose it as, as quick as it came because it was not created to fill our hearts with satisfaction. Only God is. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, we read the words of Paul to Timothy. And I want you to turn there. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in our, our, our series, The Pursuit of Godliness. The Pursuit of Godliness. To pursue something means to chase it. It means to go after it. And Paul, in this letter to Timothy, his understudy is telling him that of all the things that you need to chase, what you need to chase is godliness. You need to chase God. Seek God. Timothy was a, a young pastor, pastoring a church in, in Ephesus, a, a wonderful man of God who was mentored by the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote 13 of the 27 letters that we have in the New Testament. And Paul, up into chapter 4, is telling Timothy how to pursue God. He's telling Timothy what the qualifications of a, of a pastor is. He's told Timothy his own testimony. And now we hear these words, verse 6, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have follow have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. And some of your translations say, uh, exercise yourself into godliness. Others may say, discipline yourself into godliness. That word train, what we use as train or what your translation may use as exercise, uh, in the Greek breaks down to where we get the word gymnasia for, from or, or gym, gymnastics. So other words, to work out, to, to work out your faith. Amen. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promises for the present life and also for the life to come. So he says bodily exercise, it values you just for now. Spiritual exercise or chasing God values, is value to you of not only now, but also for eternal life. And he says in verse 9, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teach, and do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by the prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and others. Amen. You may be seated in the name of Jesus. Last week, we talked about pursuing God, and we talked about pursuing godliness, and, and, and we talked about 
how Paul was writing to Timothy, this young elder of the church. He was the, the, the pastor, so to speak, the overseer of this church. And he wanted Timothy to pursue godliness. Now, what does godliness mean? Godliness means to have the attitude and conduct of God. So Paul is telling Timothy that you are to pursue godliness. Now, why was Timothy to pursue godliness? It was, it was a twofold reason. The first reason that Timothy was to pursue godliness was in order uh, that, that he himself would, would be able to experience the presence of God. And the second thing is so that he would be able to teach others to pursue God. And that's the same reason why, as Christians, we constantly chase and, and pursue God. And sometimes it's like Gillian, right? It, it seems like we just can't catch up with him. We, we, we want more of God. We want to see God. We want to experience God. But, but for some of us, it just feels, and for most of us, at some point in time, it feels like we, we're just not, not good enough, like we're maybe not strong enough, or maybe we're not doing enough to, to chase him. Um, that's how it is, this pursuit of God. Sometimes it feels like he's so far ahead of us that we just can't. And that's not a bad feeling to have because God is perfect. And there is no one like God. And nobody on this side of heaven will be like God. But the Bible still tells us to strive. So Jesus says, strive to be perfect. Make that effort to be perfect. For your Father in heaven is her perfect. That's what Peter said when he was uh, retelling re the, the, the law of Moses. And he told the uh, dispersed Jews, he said these words to them. He, he, he said, uh, be ye holy for God is holy. To be holy means to be set apart. God is set apart. There is no one like him. No one uh, in which we can compare to him. But it is our job to pursue godliness. Last week I told us that the way that we do it is, number one, by accepting the responsibility. Seeing it as our responsibility to do something, to exercise. I like the word exercise, train, discipline. Because those are all words that mean that we have to put in some effort. We have to work. For the person who says, well, I thought we were saved by faith. The Bible says that we're saved by faith, right? We're saved uh, uh, by grace through faith. So, so, so fa by faith through grace, right? So faith is, the, uh, is how we're saved. And that's true. We are saved by our faith, right? We cannot earn our salvation. Our salvation is a gift from God. But at the same time, James brings clarity. When he says, uh, faith without works is what? Mm. Faith without works is sleep, right? No. Faith without works is dead. <laughs> He's saying that if you say that you have faith, but you don't have works to show, to go along with your faith, basically we're liars. So salvation is a gift from God, but once we are saved, we work out our salvation, Philippians, right? Work out our salvation in fear and what? And trembling and reverence. We work out our salvation with an awesome respect and reverence for God. 
meaning that we recognize that God has given us a precious gift and we want to protect that precious gift. Now, Timothy, Paul, what he was telling Timothy is this. He was telling Timothy that we need to exercise our faith. We need to exercise ourselves and and make sure that we are continuously pursuing or chasing God. Because if we are not continuously pursuing and chasing God, then we run into danger. Remember that from last week. We run into danger. And many in the body of Christ... And Ephesus ran into danger. And what the danger was, was, is that they began to follow a false gospel. Gospel means good news. They began to to follow a a false version of God's good news. They began to, to be swept away by teachings and by doctrine that was not true. Which means that many of them departed from the faith. Let me stop right there. When we say that someone departs from the faith, we are not saying that they lost their salvation. Let me, understand, let me break that down. Many people say, well, they, want, they were once saved, but now they're not anymore. You cannot lose your salvation. If someone has departed from the faith, What that means is, is that they never was in the faith to begin with. It meant that they was, as the writer of Hebrews uses the word, they were enlightened. In other words, they heard the good news of Jesus Christ, and they said, you know what? I'm going to try Jesus, right? But most of them, when they say, when when someone who's departs from the faith, they're saying that I'm going to try Jesus, I'm going to do this Christian thing, but they have not fully devoted themselves to it. And and many times, the reason why this happens is because they have accepted a, a false version of the gospel. It means that they came to Christ seeking something other than Christ. So some people, they come to Christ because uh, at a funeral. And they hear the preacher say, well, if you want to see this person again, because they were a Christian, you need to give your life to Jesus. So their whole motive to coming down to give their life to Jesus is because they want to see their grandmother or their great-grandmother. Not because they want to trust Jesus for salvation or trust him to pardon their sins. Some other people come to Christ because they say, well, if I give my life to Christ, he's going to make me a better person. A better person, right? So they say, well, if I come to Jesus, he's going to make me a better person. It's true that being a Christian means that you are a a better person. For you were an old person, now you are a new person in Christ. But Christ does more than make us a better person. You can join any religion just about, and if you devote yourself to, to their teachings, you will, in some ways, become a better person. Islam can make someone a better person. A Buddhist can make someone a better person. Jesus Christ, coming to faith in Christ, does not mean that he's going to make you a better person. It means that he is going to wash your sins away and that you devote yourself to no longer living for your or our own advantage before the advantage of Christ. 
Well, see, in Ephesus, many people, they came to, to Christ for the wrong reason. And now in this church, in the church that is at Ephesus, many of them are being led astray by false teachers, teachers who are teaching them uh, a, a false version of what it means to be a Christian. They were telling them, listen, uh, to be a Christian means you don't eat certain things, you don't wear certain things. To be a Christian means that God can make you uh, a rich person or something like that. And they, they were led astray. So Paul here tells Timothy to, to exercise yourself into godliness. If you are being a passive Christian, then you are in danger because you are probably going to end up departing from the faith. Many people were false. Christians, because they were not actively pursuing God. They were lukewarm. How many here have ever heard that term? Right? Lukewarm. To be lukewarm means to be neither hot nor cold. So, the Bible teaches either we are hot, we are on fire for Christ, we recognize who we are in Christ, or, or we need to be cold, means we, it's better off to be dead. But, but if we're lukewarm, which means we got one foot in and one foot out, the Bible says that Jesus said, I will spit you out of my mouth. He says, I would rather you be all the way hot or all the way cold. Jesus basically says, I have more respect for an unbeliever than I, someone who just totally denies me, than someone who says, yeah, I'm in you, but I'm really not. And our passion, as I said last week, our goal for this year must be to pursue God, must be to beg God to, to make us hot, to make his word be like fire shut up in our bones, to, to make us to be a courageous people that will go against cultural Christianity and step up and step out of the closet and say, Lord, I am yours. And Paul shows us four ways to do it. And last week we talked about the first way. The first way was to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. And we talked about that last week, the importance of the Word of God in pursuing God. And the second thing that he shows us in this text is found in verse 14. When he told Timothy, he said, Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So the second thing he tells us in pursuing God, we must devote ourselves to the word of God. By devoting ourselves to the word of God, it's not just simply reading the word of God. It's not simply just hearing the word of God. But it's, it's really, it's, it's obeying the word of God. It's, it's being confronted by scripture and asking God to allow scripture to change our hearts. Then he says, second thing, he says, do not neglect the spirit. Do not neglect the spiritual gifts that you have been given. Spiritual gifts that you have been given. I believe that the reason why as a, as a people, as, as God's people, as, as God's local body, the reason why there is not a overall enthusiasm and faith working is not because necessarily, in, in all cases, that, 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 that people don't have a, a love for God. It's not because when, when people come to Christ that they are not, that they are not genuinely loved with God. I, I believe that what has happened 
Minister Maceo, is that we have neglected the Holy Spirit. We have neglected to teach about the Holy Spirit. We have neglected the power of the Holy Spirit. We have neglected the work of the Holy Spirit. We have neglected the study of the Holy Spirit. We have basically made salvation a personal pursuit, a pursuit of, of works and personal effort without asking the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us, without seeking the spiritual gifts. We see this as a theme throughout the New Testament. That's what Paul just told Timothy. He said, do not neglect. He said, whatever you do, do not neglect your spiritual gifts. When we come to Christ, God gives us his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is what's working on our heart, allows us to come to Christ, allows us to be regenerated, to experience new life. And then we experience, after being regenerated, God gives us gifts. That's what the Bible says. He gives us spiritual gifts. It means that the Holy Spirit empowers us, gives us a, a, a spiritual purpose to be used in the body of Christ. If you are seeking fulfillment in God and you truly believe that, and that Christ is your Savior, you, you cannot fulfill, find that fulfillment in God, and you are not active in the church, and you, have, and you are not actively a part of the body of Christ, and you say, well, I feel like I'm missing something, I'm telling you that's what you're missing. You're missing the Holy Spirit working in and through you. Upcoming months, we're going to be teaching on the Holy Spirit. We're going to be walking through the New Testament and looking at the person of the Holy Spirit. Many times we talk about the Holy Spirit and we think this is this, 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 this ghost that makes us dance. Right? Ooh, the Holy Spirit was up in there. Did you see the way he crunked? You see the way she broke it down in the middle of the hour and that music got going? The Holy Spirit is not, not a, a power. The Holy Spirit is a person that empowers. And he takes ordinary people and allows them to do extraordinary things. And I believe that as, as a people that we're afraid of the Holy Spirit. We don't know anything about him, so we just kind of stay away from him. And, and, and I hate to say it, especially Baptists. But that's okay. It's okay for now because we, 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 we haven't dove into it, but that's what we have to commit ourselves to, to dive into it. And those who know your spiritual gifts and you know what God has gifted you to do, do it. But what's so spiritual about gifts? I mean, what is a spiritual gift? What, what are you saying, uh, 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 Pastor Jamal? Are you saying that, 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 that the Lord has created me to be a, a prophet or a mighty evangelist? Is this the gifts? Yes, that's part of the gifts. God creates, uh, he, he gives to the church prophets and evangelists and, and teachers and, and so forth. He gives gifts like that. But, but in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 4 through 8, we see that, that spiritual gifts are other things. Like joy. Like serving others. Like encouraging or edifying others. You, you may not be a preacher, but, but maybe God has given you the gift of edification. Maybe you're just so, so overwhelmed with joy. One of my brothers here, man, every time I see him, I just love seeing him because he always has a smile on his face. And a, a but God in his heart. He has a gift of encouragement. If you walk away feeling down after you meet him, and something's wrong. 
all right? And some of us know him as Blank Man. Not going to disclose his real name, amen. But each of us, we have been given a spiritual gift. And Paul tells Timothy, do not neglect your spiritual gift. So what, you, what we need to do is we need to pursue our spiritual gift. That's what Paul told the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He ends off, he says, pursue the gifts of the Spirit. It means that, that we need to pursue the Holy Spirit. We need to pray and ask God to, to show us what our spiritual gift is so that we can become involved in our local church because we are the body of Christ. Now think about that, the body of Christ. Christ is the head and we are his body, which means that in a local body, God has given each of us a role in that body. If you want to read more about this, read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13. And 14, read Romans chapter 12. I want to learn more about spiritual gifts, but we are the body of Christ. Just like your natural body has certain different body parts that has different functions, so does the body of Christ. So does the body of Christ. If a church is unhealthy, it is because there, are, there is a sickness or a disease in the body. It is because some part of the body is not doing something that they were created to do. Just like when your body gets sick or your body gets ill, there's a, there's a part of your body is not working. You go to a doctor and you get a checkup and the doctor says this is wrong or, and, and, and they're able to, to identify. Many churches fail and close each year because the, the body was not operating in the gifts. First person that people want to blame it on is the pastor. And Unfortunately, in a lot of situations, some situations, it is the pastor. But even the pastor has people who's supposed to hold him accountable. The church is supposed to hold the, the pastor accountable. First Timothy chapter 3. If anyone desires to be and, and over the, the desire, aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Right? Then he goes and lists what, what the requirements of a pastor is. Job of the church to, to make sure that those requirements are in the pastor, to hold the pastor accountable. The pastor's a human being. That, that if he, and if he gets away from the Lord, he, he's stranded. But we, as a body, we got to hold the other members accountable. Other members accountable. So what is your part in the body of Christ? Everybody has a part. And every part is important. And if one part of the body is hurting, the rest of the body is supposed to support and help that part of the body. Paul says, do not neglect your spiritual gifts. That's what he says in 1 Timothy chapter eight, uh, 1, verse 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Holding faith and good conscience by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Some have made shipwreck of their faith. Because they did not hold to what the word of God said. Because they neglected the spirit of God. The third thing Paul tells us here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. After he tells us not to neglect the gift which was given to him which was affirmed to him by the other elders, he tells him this, number 15, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that 
all may see your progress. He says, practice these things. My translation says, immerse yourself in them. Now, the moment I read this, or, and, and, and the Lord put this on my heart to speak, an illustration came up because it's, it reigns true with me. When I heard the word immerse, I heard a friend of mine's voice who, when I was learning to swim, told me that I needed to learn to immerse myself in the water. I had a fear of putting my head underwater ever since I was young. I could not put my head underwater. In fact, I knew the technique to swim. I could swim like this, above water. But the moment my head starts going underwater, I would panic. So right before me and Lady Amber got married, I called a friend of mine. I said, man, I need to learn to swim because we're about to go on our vacation, you know. And I want to be out there swimming. I don't want her to be all under the water like a dolphin, and I'm sitting up here flapping. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we went on our honeymoon, and needless to say, we were surrounded by a body of water, and we didn't touch the water. We felt so bad. We was looking at it for so far until when we was about to leave and get on our plane, we said we at least got to walk up to the water, take off our socks, and put our feet in it. But I just had a, a, a fear of putting my head underwater. So finally, with the first step of, of, of swimming, I told him my fear. He said, well, this is what we got to do. You got to immerse yourself in the water. I said, oh, Lord. I said, man, can't you just teach me to move my head like this on top of the water? He said, no, we have to do it. So he took me by the hand, and that was a little weird, but he took me by the hand, and he said, we're going to go down under the water, and you're going to hold your breath as long as you can, and then come up. I said, all right, I can't do it. I'm just looking, I'm just sweating. And then all of a sudden, I thought about my boo, swimming like a dolphin. And I said, all right. So I went under the water, held my breath, and came right up. And he looked at me, he said, Jamal, seriously. <laughs> So he said, we're going to do it again. It took me about four or five times, and finally I just was under the water holding my breath. But, but it means to, to fully commit yourself. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy, to practice, immerse yourself in the pursuit of godliness. Don't just say, I'm a Christian, and then just wait for something miraculous to happen one day. Just wait for one day you to wake up and everything to be right. No. Paul is saying you have to work at it. You have to practice at it. You have to devote yourself to it. You have to immerse yourself in it. And the reason why we don't have victories in certain areas of our life is because we have not immersed ourselves in Scripture that will help us to fight whatever we are fighting. We have to want it. We have to fully commit ourselves to it. We have to say, you know what? God is worth this pursuit of holiness. God is worth it. Maybe your motivation is not your wife or not another person, but it should be because God is worthy of the pursuit. My wife was worthy of a pursuit, but God is, is even more than so worthy of it because he's eternal. He's holy. He's without sin. He's loving. He has that agape love, that unconditional love. Immerse yourself into it. Now, after he tells himself, him to immerse himself in it, the next verse, he says these words. He tells him part of our motivation and part of Timothy's motivation. He says, so that all may see your progress. We just talked about the body of Christ. 
and how we are one body. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands and the feet of Christ. The church is. The church is. And we are Christ's bride. Now, that's a, a wonderful thing. Wonderful way to look at it. There's no better illustration. That's why God used it. We are the bride of Christ. Thought about that? Have you? No man wants a bride that is unfaithful. No man wants a bride who is not committed to being clean. No man wants his bride to be someone who, who's sloppy and who, who doesn't care about herself. Every man wants a, a bride that is going to be pure and fully devoted to himself. And that's why Paul is telling Timothy, you must teach godliness because we are each members of Christ's body and we are his bride. And, and if we are his bride, then we ought to be pure. And he tells Timothy to devote yourself to these things, to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to, to meditation. To, and don't neglect the, your spiritual gifts and, and practice these things. Things, immerse yourself in these things and then he comes up to this that verse that we just read he says because it is for the common good it is so that everyone else can see your progress which means that there should be a, another motivation to our pursuit of God which is to be a part of God's bride now, what part of the body of Christ are you? What part of the body of Christ am I? Now, because I'm the, the, the pastor and, and the teaching and preaching pastor along with these ministers and our, and our deacons, we are the, the mouth, so to speak. But if a pastor is unclean, if a minister is unclean, if they are not immersing themselves and, and devoting themselves, if they are crooked pastors who are, are wolves in, in sheep clothing, then the, the mouth of Christ is dirty. Have you ever talked to somebody with stinky breath? Have you ever talked to somebody whose breath is just on tilt? Well, that's how churches are who have pastors that are out of order, who have pastors that are not pursuing God. Their breath stink, and that's why people talk about the church. Ooh, have you been over there? That pastor's so crooked. What they're saying is his, the church's breath stink. The, the mouthpiece of that local church is out of order. But let's not just talk about the mouthpiece. What part of the body are you? And are you representing the, the bride of Christ well? Maybe you're a pinky. Do you have a splint on you? Are you inactive because you are not pursuing godliness and, and working to, to put to, to death the works of the flesh? What part are you? What part are you? What part am I? It's for the common good. Next, after he tells us to immerse ourselves, he tells Timothy to keep watch. After you practice these things, after you immerse yourself, keep watch. He says keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Keep a close watch. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and others. Keep watch on yourself. Timothy is saying, uh, Paul is telling Timothy, you need to watch every detail of your life. Keep a close watch on yourself. And that's important. 
Right, while we're practicing, while we're working, we need to watch ourselves. Now, some people, we, we know what keep a watch, close watch means because we keep a close watch on our children, don't we? We know what it means to keep a close watch because we love our kids and we want to make sure our kids don't, don't go wrong. And, and, and we know what it means to keep a close watch, some of us, because we keep a close watch on that stock market, don't we? Yeah, yeah. We want to make sure that CNN is noticing that it is going up, uh, uh, up under Barack Obama's campaign or rule, don't we? We want to keep a close watch on it. And we know how to keep a close watch. Some men, we keep a close watch on our cars, don't we? We know when a scratch is not supposed to be there. Go in the house. Honey, come here. What you want, Jim Bob? I got to ask you a question. <laughs> Right? We keep a close watch on our car. Well, well, Paul tells Timothy, keep a close watch on yourself. But listen to his reason. He says, not only that you may save yourself, because if you're not keeping a close watch on yourself, you may be deceived and not be a part of the faith at all. Right? That's what Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, many will say unto me, Lord, Lord. They will say, I prophesied in your name, I preached in your name, I did miracles in your name. And he will say, get away from me, shorty, I don't know you. Right? That person knew God, but God did not know him. It's like me walking up to Barack Obama like, man, I know you, man. Let me chill at the White House for a little while. And he's like, I don't know you. <laughs> but I know you, I don't know you. Keep a close watch on yourself. So that you may not only save yourself, but so that you may save others. God wants to use clean instruments. Who here wants to go to surgery and when they're in the bed to, to, to be worked on, has a doctor that comes in the room and says, nah, I just used this and we don't feel like cleaning it. But we're going to try it anyway. Who would say, no, okay, doctor, I'll let you use that scalpel. Amen. Nobody. Everybody wants to be worked on by a clean vessel. It's the same way when we minister to people. God is going to use people who are clean. God's going to use people who are clean. And it's true that sometimes he allows people who are unclean to do his work. In order. And one day those people who are unclean will hear him say, depart from me. I know you're not. Pursuing godliness. Number one is devoting yourself to scripture. Number two is not neglecting your spiritual gifts. Number three is practicing it constantly. And number four is keeping a close watch on yourself. But what's the motive? The, the, the main motive, the main drive that Paul wanted Timothy, the reason why Paul wanted Timothy to pursue godliness was because he wanted the gospel to be evident in his life. He wanted the power of God to be evident in his life. He wanted Timothy not to have a form of godliness, but deny his power. That's why many are asleep, have a form of godliness, but they deny its power because we neglect the spiritual gifts, because we don't immerse ourselves in, in the pursuit of godliness because we're not keeping a close watch on ourselves. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we just thank you for who you are. 
And I pray, Father God, that you would allow us to pursue godliness together. I pray, Father God, that we will seek not to come to church out of religious obligation or a habitual routine, but that we will come, Father God, to know you. I pray, Father, that you will continue to make us not only hearers of your words, but doers of your words. That we will not be found like Israel during the time of Ezekiel, who, who came to hear Ezekiel preach because they wanted to be entertained. We pray, Father God, that we would come to, to Sunday school and, and Bible study and that we would even have small group Bible studies in our, in our own homes in order that your gospel would go forth. We pray that in 2010, Lord, that you would give us a, a different swagger, a, a different look, Father God, a, a look, Lord, that says that I'm on fire for Christ and I don't care who knows about it. We pray for your grace as we know that without your grace, we all are liable to fall into temptation. We pray that you would bring men and women into our lives that will hold us accountable for the gospel. Help us not to just swim in you on top of the water. Help us to immerse ourselves in you, in the water. Help us to go deep sea diving for the sake of your glory and for your name. Amen. If there is someone here today that does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you want to have a relationship with